0: Welcome to the 28th episode of Sound the Foghorn. As always, I am your host, Mark DeLuki. Thank you for joining us here on this 28th episode. Uh, Today, um, I am joined by uh, staff editor and writer over at The Athletic, um, Melissa Lockhart. She is, you know, if if she isn't already, she should be one of your go-to writers for all things uh, Giants and Oakland A's prospects. Um, again, she, she does fantastic work over the athletic and, and we're going to talk about the, the minor leagues here. Um, Melissa, how does it feel to finally be not talking about hypothetical minor league games that we aren't <laughs> getting to watch or without box scores?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's been great. You know, it's funny. I, I almost forgot what the whole pace of the season was like um, and, you know, the needing to kind of Um, decompress from four different games that you're following on the minor league level every single day. And in my case, I guess it's eight. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, what that sort of, it's almost like a muscle you haven't used for a while, you know, you sort of have to flex it again. Um, But it's, it has been, it's been really fun to actually have some results to look at rather than just sort of, um, here's somebody, how somebody looks in the showcase situation. Um, it, It sort of reminds me of You know, when guys get signed out of um, like the Dominican or Venezuela and all you've heard are sort of the um, or even out of high school, really, where you've sort of just Mm -hmm. seen like the showcase kind of stuff. And then they really they get into rookie ball and you're actually seeing them playing against other professional players. And you're like, okay, well, this is how these skills, you know, sort of match up. And obviously results are still early and, and variable, but, um, but I think it really gives you a lot more context for everything. So um, it's been great. And, you know, so far, uh, knock on wood, they've been able to kind of pull it off without a hitch, which um, hopefully they'll be able to continue to do.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing, you know, the minor leagues do have a pretty you know big uphill battle just on a resource one. Um, and given how, you know, sprag- there's a lot more minor league players, obviously, than big league players. And we've seen big league teams have outbreaks. And, and so I'm, I'm hopeful but you know uh cautious at the same time but i I will say i'm curious i know for me watching or watching from afar you know is i expected i think a lot more weirdness than we've i feel like we've gotten and you know granted we're only i think you know a a week or two weeks kind of are into um games being played at the minor league level but it does seem like when, you know, granted you, you have your occasional 15 to ones or your six to eight run innings. and I think we have seen pitchers on uh, throughout the minor leagues have, have a little bit more, even more struggles with command than, than we usually see, but I've been pleasantly surprised about the quality of play. Like it doesn't seem like at least at this point um, that we've seen sort of an impact in the quality of play that, one again i think i expected given this year of layoff have you been surprised by that as well
1: yeah no i i think um you know the things that we're seeing that are a little bit different are, are less about what the players are bringing to the table and more just about the changes that they kind of had to make to allow for, or account for the fact that there was this long layoff the larger rosters has meant that you know um guys are getting more days off you know and and uh more um time, you know, where they're benched, like you won't see like Marco Luciano necessarily playing 12 games in a row in, in this sort of situation, just because they do have so many more players on the roster than they normally do. Um, I think you're you also probably notice there's a lot more games where they're sort of bullpen games. Um, I don't think uh, it looks to me anyway, and this is just kind of a casual observation. Nobody's told me this directly, but it looks to me most organizations, um, including the Giants, are sort of only designating a few guys right now to be sort of in that five inning range. Um, and almost everybody else is sort of in that two to three inning range and they're uh, either slowly building them up or maybe they'll just spend the season, you know, kind of doing, um every fifth day but three innings at a time instead of five to sort of account for the fact that there wasn't this uh season last year to to build up um innings so uh you know those are the kind of only real differences I've noticed um you know there have been I think you know from my perspective both the the A's and the Giants haven't um had any real glaring competition issues you know I think they're Mm -hmm. all all their records are either you know well above 500 or at 500 or just below um there, i have noticed there are a few teams i think there was one out in the um double uh, a northeastern league that's over and 10 or something like that um so there are a few teams i think that perhaps are struggling a little bit that are in different organizations but I, I yeah i think the giants have to be very pleased with how um their players have come out of this um and how ready they sort of were for you know what really i think is um probably underrated about this season is how much the levels are you know kind of getting into an adjustment period right mm-hmm. we don't really know what double a means right now um, given the players that are jumping there from like short season in some cases because of the way that uh, you know the way that the thing everything broke down with last season being off the books and you know low a now is a, a California League setting you know a more offensive setting where uh, the low a leagues that both the Giants and A's played in you um, previously were pitcher friendly. Um, You know, so all those sort of shifts, I think that it's very interesting to see how the Northwest league is playing out as a full season league. I think that's going to be a a very interesting story to track, Um, you know, with that high A West, uh, how that looks over a full season, Um, because, you know, it is sort of, it's such a small league. So those, not only you have six game series, but you're having six game series against the same teams for a long season. That's going to be uh, a lot of familiarity there, um, which is going to be interesting to see how that affects things. Um, You know, plus just in in general, uh, you know, the weather and and everything that goes into playing uh, spring games in the Pacific Northwest. So, Um, there's a lot of really interesting storylines, but I think, yeah, the best part about all this is it's, it's real, it looks like real competitive baseball, as opposed to, um, you know, something that looks like the first day of spring training, which I think is awesome.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, what makes it, what makes prospect kind of scavenging or box score hunting for fans, I think so exciting is, you know, even if it's just like looking at a, at a box score, you see, you know. And anyone, you know, would tell you with professional experience, right? Like you're not scouting by, by doing so, but it is something that I think for fans, you know, and, you know, myself at Google, when I was growing up, you know, when, when you look at a box score and you're like trying to, you know, feel like you're doing a little bit of, you know, kind of what teams are doing and trying to figure out who's the players that people aren't thinking about that, that are going to be good. Like, it's just really difficult to do that from, you know, when you don't even have like a, a box score to tell, you know, pretend you're telling yourself. Like like what's going on and that you're you're sort of able to track even secondhand. Like I think that's something too that was obviously teams were incredibly frustrated by what happened, but they still you know got to see a number of guys at at not only the alternate a few guys at the alternate site, but then obviously you have instructs um, and you know spring training to kind of work for. I, I think this is also something where you're just seeing. You know, how much minor league baseball has come to mean to fan bases around the league where, you know, 10, 20 years ago that that was there. There's always been kind of a a decent minority of people who do, but it's becoming kind of uh, it's become this new thing. Right. It's become something where, you know, the athletic, you know, has someone like you doing this for just two teams. Right. And um, where, you know. Almost every site has someone who's willing to write about the minor leagues and is following, you know, Giants prospects. And I think probably most big league teams, you know, have numerous people um, following it. So it's it's also just really good for the game and and exciting to kind of have, you know, some content for a, a market where, you know, people have been desperate for it for over a year now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the best part about it is it, it allows players that um, weren't necessarily given that prospect, top prospect tag to emerge as legitimate big leaguers. Cause that mm-hmm. happens all the time, right? Like we, you know, we, we go through and we, we look at, at guys and um, you know, players gets kind of sifted into buckets almost the moment they sign their contract They you know, either, um, you know, sort of prospects, a slightly interesting guys or organizational filler. And and it's hard to move yourself out of that organizational filler, especially when there's no season to do anything in. And so I think, you know, one guy that obviously has really opened a lot of eyes early is Bryce Johnson. And yes. you know, here's a guy who, you know, maybe without the expanded rosters, um, you know, wouldn't have been on the triple A Sacramento uh roster to start the season. He probably would have been with W Richmond, but you know, here, here's somebody that we probably all were sleeping on a little bit. I mean, I, I know I saw him play a bunch um, when he was with San Jose, um, but always he's had a good eye, one of the fastest guys, if not the fastest guy in the system, uh, great defender in center field. You know, the power is the thing that's been noticeable so far. And we'll see if that's something that's more just because they opened the season in Vegas. And I think, you know, any ball that gets in the air, there's a chance for a home run. But um, but he's a guy that it's, you know, sort of got a lot of dynamic tools for the top of the order um, and someone that, you know, the fact that he is a pure center fielder is is someone who could be very much of interest for a Giants organization. That's obviously been searching for somebody for quite some time for that spot. So, um, you know, obviously the guys like Hel- uh, Elliot Ramos and, and others are the ones that you sort of think about first when you think about field prospects, Luis Matos and stuff, but um, it, it's not to say that someone like Bryce Johnson couldn't become an important part of what the giants are hoping to build and without games, there's just no way for him to prove that he can do that. So um, that's my kind of favorite part of this sort of thing coming back and, and us being able to see, um, you know, box squares on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and just kind of giving fans who are familiar a quick rundown, like Johnson, like you mentioned, he was a six-round pick out of Sam Houston State, I want to say, back in 2017. You, you look at his numbers throughout, like he's always kind of been heading into this year like a competent hitter, but one, like you mentioned, you know, coming into the year, his career-high slugging was, I think, 366. He never hit more. I think, I think he had 35 extra base hits in 2019, and that was – Uh, easily the best mark of his career in his two full seasons and through eight games, he's got eight eight extra base hits. Like you mentioned, a pair of homers. He's only hit six in his career coming into the year. So that's definitely something to watch. Like you mentioned, obviously triple a, what, well, I guess I gotta get used to not saying the Pacific coast league, triple a West. We know (laughs) what was basically the the triple coast, uh, the Pacific coast league has always been hitter friendly, but yeah, we we've, you know, seen that some players too, you know, I, I was actually meaning to ask you this and I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but it, you know, the major league baseball took some uh, to deaden the big league ball this year. Mm-hmm. And I know in 2019, last time we were here, you know, triple a was the only league that got the big league ball. And that was when sort of the first suspicions and then confirmation that the big leagues had juiced the ball came in. So you had like the Pacific coast league, where already hitter-friendly environment, getting this juiced big league ball, you know, obviously um, leading to some incredible <laughs> numbers. I think Jalen Davis was one of the, the most obvious. And again, not that they weren't playing well, just that you kind of had an added um, variable on hitter sides. Do, do you know if the same kind of dejuicing that happened at the big league level has trickled down to Triple A? Like, do you know if that's still something they're trying to do, where the big league ball and the upper minor league ball is mimicked, or
1: you know, I haven't um, I haven't seen anything definitive on that yet. That is definitely something they they never announced. So it's yeah. more like when somebody kind of uh, like you know Saris or somebody gets a hold of a ball mm. and is actually able to test it. So um, yeah, that is something to look for for sure. I mean, I think uh, it makes sense to keep that consistent because you're talking about you know having pitchers jump up from that level to the big leagues and to have them have suddenly adjusting to a new ball, um, you know, would seem kind of unfair um so I wouldn't be surprised if they were using the big league ball but yeah I don't know for sure Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and one of the other things that what we do know for sure is different about minor leagues this season and you touched on it earlier is that we're they're kind of they're doing these almost college style right week-long series um where they're playing five sometimes six games quite often Against the same opponent, you mentioned, you know, that's part of why you're seeing teams work in these bullpen games because it's just, you know, six straight games. Most minor league teams don't have guys. They they want to throw five, six innings, especially at this point in, in the season. Um, but do you, I guess I, my question to you is, what do you expect? Like, do you expect to have an impact on maybe how we are Know, watching, like, are we, are we going to look differently at Monday through Wednesday performances than Thursday through Sunday, or, you know, however um, things work out? Because I am curious, you know, playing the same team every day, does that, are we going to maybe see, you know, one of the big things about, you know, lower minor leagues, especially we, we talk about when we're evaluating players, right, is pitchers, you know, aren't necessarily able to adjust to scouting reports as quickly against hitters part of it um, just because there's less information on the hitters, but, but also a part of it is, you know, the pitchers usually have, you know, less flexibility in their own repertoires, probably less precision with their command. So it's harder for them to attack specific weak spots and, and take advantage of that. I, I wonder if over these, you know, slightly longer series you mentioned again, this isn't the case for any of the giants affiliates, but the, the Northwest league, uh, that's now high A because it's so contained. I, I do wonder if we're going to see some interesting sort of separation where we get the the players who are, you know, better able to kind of make adjustments, right? The, the players who are better able to see a pitcher once or twice and, you know, figure out a specific um, hitch or, or, or adjust to, you know, their repertoire quicker, are, are we are going to kind of get to really take advantage of, these longer series is kind of more prolonged time to look at p- opposing players where potentially on, on, on the other end, you have players who, you know, there's you know plenty of prospects who, who fit this bill, right. Who perform quite well in the lower minor leagues, but when you get to the upper minor leagues, when you get to better competition, but perhaps more, just as importantly competition, that is better, uh, more interested in adjusting to you specifically as a hitter and kind of curtailing to a scouting report that, you know, maybe we're starting to see some of those effects earlier because teams kind of have this more extended look at players.
1: Yeah. I mean, so the way that it is working this season, this is mostly due to um, the pandemic protocols, although it is something I think they may look at for continuing moving forward, but um, every team will play six game series. And in every league except for AAA West, those six game series run Tuesday through Sunday with a Monday off day triple a West because they fly a lot more than some of the other leagues do chose Wednesday as their off day. So they go Thursday through Tuesday and then they have Wednesday as an off day. But yeah, so every single time, you know, these teams are facing off, they're facing off six game series. Um, And you know, I think it was interesting. I was actually talking to uh, Jim Eppert for uh, my A's notebook, but this, translates to any uh team um that you know from he's the A's hitting uh minor league hitting coordinator and you know the, the way he th- kind of thought thinks about these six game series is you know it's a great coaching opportunity because obviously you can't hide any of your flaws I mean once a, a staff sees you one or two games by that third game they have a decent book on you by the fourth and fifth game and sixth game you know they're, they're all over you so if you've got something that Um, is a pretty glaring hole, if you're not going to work on it, they're going to just pound you uh, incessantly in that spot. And, you know, ultimately, um, a hitter has to decide, am I willing to make the adjustment? Or am I willing to see my numbers, you know, kind of fall apart? And in other situations where it was a three game series, and they could get away with that, they might not want to make that adjustment. Because, you know, it's hard to, when you're doing well, statistically, move away from what you're doing. So I think this is going to kind of Really allow coaching, especially in the lower levels, to um, sort of make a bigger impact quicker, uh, perhaps, than, mm-hmm. than before, especially for hitters. Um, for pitchers, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting because starters will probably, you know, at least two, um, may, you know, sometimes maybe three, depending on how they're setting up a rotation, you know, they may actually see the same team, you know, in, in, in a series. Um, which, you know, again, will present some similar kind of situations as to with hitters um, in that they are going to have to make quicker adjustments. So, um, but he also, he also mentioned there were certainly smaller leagues like The Cal League had become when when um, they had lost a couple of franchises and were down to eight teams, and the Texas League had been where you were facing the same uh, seven other teams, you know, in a 140 game season. So by you know May, they had a pretty good book on you already. Um, So maybe the book gets written quicker now and it's every league as opposed to just a couple of these smaller leagues um but there was some kind of previous experience with this idea of teams really getting to know each other well what i think will be interesting though is um you know when it gets to sort of the heat of the summer and there's uh you know those kind of heated moments where somebody Mm -hmm. gets hurt or um you know there's some sort of disagreement Uh, having these teams facing each other so often and for such a long stretch uh, is going to create some interesting um, personalities <laughs> situations yeah. and, and potentially some conflict there. Um, so that'll certainly be something to look for. But um, but from a travel perspective and a player health perspective, I think this is actually going to be really a big, nice change because uh, you're not going to have those overnight bus rides and then getting a, a, in at like six and playing at seven that you had before. And hopefully it'll really allow players to stay on the field more um, for an entire season, which um, I think may ultimately kind of lead to this being um you know sort of the setup that they go with even post pandemic
0: mm-hmm. yeah it, it like you mentioned it, it creates um some you know, just unique matchups right it's something we don't really see at the professional level very often and I think the point about personalities is one that is very real you know I mean I, you know just think about fans who don't necessarily follow Marley league ball it's not different than major league ball right if a, a team gets hit a bunch they're gonna probably feel the way about it we know you know how a lot of players and some coaching staffs have, you know, take matters into their own hands on that. And that could create some, you know, not ideal situations for a number of reasons. And again, with league Baseball, you incorporate players who generally have less command of their pitchers. And so you have even more kind of um, opportunities for, you know, or more guys who are going to get hit. And it's just anyway. Um, So, you know, shifting to the play on the field, obviously it's still early, you know, we're not, we're not re-ranking our prospects list quite, quite yet, but uh, who have been the performers that have stood out to you so far? You mentioned Bryce Johnson, uh, any other kind of names? And let's, let's start in the upper minors. Anyone who maybe you think um, more so than you expected might be ready to make a impact or potentially contribute at the big league level at some point in the near future.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think uh, a lot of the guys that are in Sacramento are the guys that Mm. uh, people are pretty familiar with. Um, But, you know, I think the um, Thairo Estrada, you know, who was Mm. acquired just right before the start of the season from the Yankees has looked really good um, in limited action so far at the plate, Uh, you know, and and he's a true shortstop. Um, I mean, I don't know that like they're willing to kind of, take Dubon off as that sort of backup shortstop yet but at some point in the season if they decided that Dubon's struggles were to a point that they you know wanted to try someone else's that backup there um, you know I think he is a guy that certainly could be in position to make that move there um, and Jason Krizan's a guy that I think just you know he's sort of a kind of a career minor leader at this point but he's really impressed almost everywhere he's ever played um, just a really solid hitter plays all over the field um, and, you know, I don't know that he is going to find a, a hole onto this Giants roster, especially as well as they're playing right now. But, um, you know, certainly he's a guy that I think um, has been underrated for a lot of his, uh, you know, sort of minor league career. And and someone that I think was probably pretty hurt by that layoff last year, because I think he was sort of on the verge of finding a way to to make a, a bench, you know, name for himself. Um you know, before that was canceled. And then, you know, looking at double-A, you know, Elliot Ramos obviously is off to a really solid start. And I don't know that he'll be at that level for too long. I think, you know, he got that one- month of double a ball at 20 the end of 2019 um i don't know that they set a calendar to it but it wouldn't be surprising if they sort of had a rough idea in mind that you know three to four weeks at double a would give them enough of a sample size to decide that he's you know ready for triple a um but certainly i think he's not given them any reason to think that that he wouldn't be ready for triple a at this point with the way that he's played um you know and david villar is another one who i think um, was very underrated when he was with San Jose and, you know, really solid third baseman, um, just a, you know, a really solid hitter, good power, uh, has a nice eye at the plate and, and he's off to a good start in Richmond as well. And, you know, Richmond is, is never been the easiest place to hit at. Um, and that league in general, hasn't changed a lot from when it was the Eastern league. And so when guys are hitting well in that league, I think you have to feel pretty good about, you know, what you're seeing from them.
0: No, oh, definitely. And uh, thinking about uh, Villar and, you know, another guy who we, we can talk about a bit, but Sean Roby down at high mm-hmm. A that, you know, the, they were back-to-back picks in that 2018 draft. I want to say, I think Villar was 11th and Roby was 12th and, you know, two kind of corner bats w- w- with power and Villar had performed quite well um, in, at, the, at the, on the four-year, in a four-year college and Roby in the Juco setting. But uh, you got to think the Giants right now are thinking back, you know obviously that's the draft that has bart you have jelly and you have a bunch of guys in the first 10 rounds but they have two guys who are already you know right beyond that who they gave you know 120 125,000 i want to say who are you know per- performing like legitimate prospects in in their own right who, who you can see um contributing you know potentially as you know in minimal you know potentially bench corner bats but also um, depending on how the defense plays out or you know how far the bat develops even could be Everyday players. I think uh, another one into the mix who I- I'll sort of add into there from uh, at Double A is Frankie Tostado, mm-hmm. who's you know, n- not quite matched uh, Villar's production. I think actually he hasn't hit a home run yet, but hit a few doubles and a triple. And he's someone who uh, another guy who was drafted out of the junior college, but who did not you know he was at Augusta if, uh, in, in 2019, so he skipped High A, um, and and joined, um. Villar and, and some of the other players at double A and, and seems to be uh, adjusting well, but um, obviously I don't want to bury the lead too much. You know, there was a, a no hitter at Richmond um, earlier this week, Matt Frisbee, who has been f- exquisite. I mean, I mean, there, there isn't really a better way to through two starts, 11 innings, 11 strikeouts, no walks two hits and he's done it efficiently. He is, isn't working high pitch counseling. And when you're not laying guys on base, that makes it easier. But even with that in mind, he seems to be getting through players. You know, he, again, just having a strikeout per inning is really impressive. When you look at how many guys he's also just getting to ground out on two pitches. Like he's having um, quick at bats. He works six perfect innings, hands the ball off to Joey Marciano. Who goes one and two thirds, Matt Seelinger. gets the last out in the eighth. And then Pat uh, Ruotolo. Um, gets out gets out of it in the ninth on that Thursday now yeah Thursday, um, and, and it's the not only sets the flying squirrels franchise record for longest win streak um, in, in the franchise's short history but then also records their first nine inning no hitter. Um, this Richmond team has been one I feel like that you know in the Evans years and even early or I guess the the one year we had Posey the Richmond team has kind of been a barren space historically for i feel like the giant system where the best prospects have either gotten kind of moved they've either stalled at double a and haven't performed quite well or if they have they've moved through quite quickly to triple a and you know the they haven't been able to you know the minor league free agent talent at least hasn't been there i feel like this is the first place where i mean really up and down this minor league system where this is a roster though, you look at and, and you see prospects throughout, you know, you we, we mentioned Ramos and, and even some secondary players like Villar, like Tostado, but then you look at the pitching staff and obviously Frisbee is the one who's a part of a no hitter, but you know, it's not just Frisbee. You have Tristan Beck, you have Sean Jelly who came into the year as both, you know, solidly top 20 prospects in, in, in this system. You have, um sam long who i ended up ranking the top 20 but you know regardless of where he was ranked was this huge story that kind of came out of nowhere in spring training i mean what do you when you think about this system from a few years ago to what it is now you know how do you evaluate just like the improvement in depth you're seeing up and down the minors
1: yeah no i mean there's no question that the depth has um increased you know probably tenfold it was a very thin system um about three or four years ago, you know, there, there, there were good players. Um, and certainly I think you can look at the Evans era and a lot of the players that are, the players were tracking now were selected during his tenure. So it's yes. not like they weren't finding good players. Um, they just hadn't kind of hit their stride yet. Um, but it had sort of you know I think people forget you know minor league systems are cyclical and when especially when you have a good team for as long as the Giants had a good team at the big league level they do tend to get thin because you have to make trades and that's kind of the name of the game right like you know minor league systems exist for two reasons one to fill your major league roster and two to enhance it by trading guys to get better major league players so um, you know when that happens you're going to find that the systems thin out a little bit and you're also drafting towards the end of the first round almost every single year when you're good. So that, that makes it tricky too. Um, obviously they've had some higher picks in recent years when the team wasn't that good um, and, and have started to take advantage of that. But um, the international program, you know, obviously has really, really improved, not just in terms of who they're signing, but also how they're able to develop those players and bring them over um, to the States, really a lot more polished than they were before. Um, but, in you know, in terms of what's happening in Richmond, I mean, I think, you know, part of the problem had always been that, you know, A, Richmond's a tough ballpark to hit in. So um, a lot of the hitting prospects in particular had gotten there and had had a tough time. And I think so uh, there was that sort of temptation of, well, if somebody's hitting well, let's get them out of there as quickly as we can, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Um, and in, and it's not just because of the ballpark, but also that is a very tough league to play in. You're, you're playing against... Yankee systems that tend to be, um, you know, pretty well stocked with especially very good pitching prospects. Um, Red Sox, you know, those kinds of uh, traditionally strong systems um, that that you're growing up and up against. So, um, and that that still exists in this current Double um, A Northeast League. So it, it's not like um, any of that has gone away. But I think uh, what you're looking at with this current roster is uh, the Giants were not overly aggressive in terms of some of their promotions. Um, coming out of uh, the start of um, spring training or, or the end of spring training the start of the regular season and so players are kind of where they would have been if the 2020 season had taken place and, and I think that's you know create, creating these good results because you've got guys that are not having to push themselves at, ahead of the level of where they would have been um, and you look at like Matt frisbee you know he's 24 years old um, pitched last uh, in 2019 split you know that season mostly with san jose but did start off with augusta um and you know so 24 years old at double a's is, is is kind of it's not a stretch right like it's where his experience level should have um put him and it allows him to really get comfortable put up some really good numbers and then you know he'll get a chance to go up to triple a where uh pitchers get really challenged um no matter you know how good they are <laughs> just given the, the hitting environment there um, but You know he's just he's a really solid uh, pitching prospect. Got a good fastball that can you know get to 96 and sits pretty firmly in the mid 90s. Really good breaking ball. um, Very good command and and he works quickly. And I think that really helps his defense behind him as well. So um, you know he was kind of one of those guys I, I tapped as sort of one one to watch. That's not necessarily on that list that people look at um, and you know so far he's looked very much like he did in San Jose which was you know a really solid pitching prospect um, you know and jelly I think he's just sort of getting settled a little bit the command hasn't quite been there yet you can see that with the homers allowed in the walks but um, you know he's missing a lot of bats uh, he's there's not a lot of hard contact except for the home run so it's like when you know it's that's kind of weird to say but like Um, When he's missed he's missed badly but when he's hitting his spots he's been very hard to hit so I think of just refining that and you know obviously a guy with his height it's going to just be a challenge to get to the point where he's repeating exactly his delivery every single time so that he can have that consistent command but i think that's what they you know have him at this level to do he did spend a decent amount of time in richmond in 2019 but i think the idea was maybe get him the equivalent of a full season there you know before you put him up at triple a to get that command where they really want it to be um yeah and you mentioned sam long i mean just a really interesting Um, story you know obviously the stuff is fantastic we saw that at spring training Um, you know it's still early in terms of whether he ends up as a starter or a reliever long term he's a little bit older but doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm so I I don't think there's any reason that you have to look at the age and say well you know that means he has to be a reliever but um, if the Giants don't need him as a reliever at the big league level you know the way that they've sort of had Kirby Castro and and Gregory Santos and um, sort of convert from starting to relieving because of need, you know, I think then Sam Long should get a chance to really stretch out as a starter because he has all the pitches that you would be looking for, um, you know, to be a starting pitcher. So uh, definitely a lot as a pitching staff, this might be the most interesting one of the affiliates right now to be kind of tracking.
0: Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that just because, you know, it seems like pretty much every day, they're sending someone out there who, you know, has a legitimate shot. Or, you know, every minor leaguer has a shot at becoming a, a big league, um, you know, starter. But, but uh, especially players who who we've been tracking for some time. I think also, you know, we saw at the major league level, right? You know, Camilo Duvall makes his debut since, you know, obviously, you don't have minor league season in 2020. We're having. You know, players make their big league debuts who you know obviously haven't played much in the upper minor leagues. In the case of Duval and, and Santos, they made their debuts debuts before they'd appeared at you know double A AA or triple A. In the case of Santos, um, or yeah, and you know Carvine Castro, who prior to the season hadn't you know played outside of short season ball, the in, um, Northwest League uh, with Salem Kaiser, we're seeing that too. I think in some fun ways at at the upper minor league level, more so with the minor league free agents, but the, the player who caught, um, the no hitter, um, for the flying squirrels, Brian Torres, a, a minor league free agent signing, um, who you know, never played outside of rookie ball. And he, he, here at double a, his third game, he catches, he catches, um, this no hitter. So kind of, you're also just seeing some fun things even with where players are being placed. And the giants have been a team since, uh, Zayde took over, especially with Kyle Haynes as, Kyle Haynes, obviously as farm director uh, was promoted to farm director around that same time. The giants have been fairly aggressive with, um, if not at least with placements, but definitely with promotions, right? We saw Ramos and Bart and jelly get promoted to double a in 2019. Um, and when, you know, Ramos was doing exceptionally well, but, you know, jelly and, you know, Bart weren't we're doing very well at San Jose at, at high, but they weren't doing it, it, it to such a degree that you felt like the giants, were, they forced the giants hand to promote them to double a, you know, Marco Luciano um, and, and a number of other prospects, of the Arizona league were, you know, relatively quickly. In the case of Alexander Canario, another one who spent about I think 10 games and hit an absurd amount of home runs in Arizona gets promoted to Salem Kaiser there, the giants, you kind of mentioned it, you know, with Ramos eh, they seem to be fairly conservative with their placements of their most notable prospects. It seems like they, like you mentioned, assigned players where you'd have expected them to be assigned had we had a minor league season in, in 2020. Marco Luciano, Luis Matos, uh, they get assigned to San Jose, which is now, for, for fans, I know it's, it's still a, difficult for me to adjust, but San Jose is now low a. Um Eugene, you see Hunter Bishop, will Wilson, Patrick Bailey, you know, the, the recent first round picks guys who, who've been at uh, big league spring training after instructs uh, the alternate site last year, Ramos, after what he does in spring training, I think a lot of people expected him to push his way to triple a he's back at double a. And I say disagree with the idea that, you know, as much as you may have seen a player at the alternate site or spring training, you know, it, it, the minor league season is a different animal. And I think something people don't, you know, people really underestimate, and I actually talked to um Matt to Frisbee uh, yesterday, uh, the day after his no hitter. We talked about that, but one thing he was saying was that he goes, "Yeah, you know, I, this was my first time on the road in a while," and like he was talking, we, we talked about how it was an adjustment for him, um, and just sort of getting reacclimated to you know pitching on a day you're on a bus for a few hours, and you know not. In, you know, Arizona, where everything is is relatively centralized. And and so I think it's it's also useful to get guys kind of acclimated in that sense, give them a chance to perform. But how quickly do you I I feel like that means we're going to see some promotions fairly quickly, especially from players who, you know, like you mentioned with Ramos, his strikeouts, you could maybe if you're going to poke holes in, in his performance, but he's still performing exceptionally well. In the Eastern League, Will Wilson is hitting the cover off the ball at Eugene. I think his average is now over 420 after um, his performance uh, last night. When do you expect to start seeing some of those first promotions um, from these prospects?
1: Yeah, it's a little tougher to tell this season. I think usually you tend to see them around the all-star break, which is Mm -hmm. um, generally speaking the second week in June, um, which in this case, the second week in June would be about a month and a half into a season. Um, So, you know, that may still be the time that you see that, um, not because there's an all-star break, but because uh, six weeks, it gives you a pretty good sample of, you know, what you think you're seeing guys have had a chance to you know not only get used to the idea of being on the road and being at home but also have gotten a chance to play um, six different teams as opposed to you know right now um, i think there probably is a little bit of a you know kind of you have to wait and see well did someone just have a really good series because the team they played was really not good, you know, and we don't know that yet. Um, but we will know that in a couple of weeks, I think. So, um, you know, I, uh, Ramos might be a little bit of a different situation, just given the fact that he has had both the alternate site experiences and the, uh, you know, time in big league camp and he performed so well. Um, I, I would guess, and, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I would guess that some of the other guys like Will Wilson and, and Sean Jelly and some of the others, or probably more in that, let's see in six weeks, how everything is is laying out. um, And and we'll see how, um, you know, how it all plays out that way. Um, I don't know that there's a sense they need to be rushing a guy like Wilson. you know he's with a group uh, that he played with at the alternate site um, in some cases like with Bailey actually played with in college and uh, it's a nucleus I think they wouldn't mind developing together um, and there's nothing wrong with having a lot of success at a particular level and this is his first full professional season he did get a little bit of time at, at short season with the Angels when he was drafted but um, you know he hasn't had a lot of time in professional ball yet um, and so I I, I don't Even though, you know, we all have the sense of like, let's hurry, let's hurry, because, um, you know, guys, you know, were, are a year older than they would be normally at these types of levels. Um, I don't know that they feel like that just because they got a year older, they got a year better, (laughs) if that Mm. makes sense. Um, So, yeah, so I feel like, um, you know, there are, there are different scenarios for certain guys. And I think certainly uh, Elliot Ramos is one of those guys, but for the most part, I think, you know, we'll probably see a fairly stable um, roster situation for most of these teams for the next few weeks. And then, you know, maybe we start to see some waves of shifts, especially also because I think that second week of June or so is when the uh, Arizona Rookie League would start up and mm. you'd have an opportunity if you needed to send some people back um, to have them be playing in games. They are playing extended spring training games um, in Arizona right now. It, the schedule is very uneven. It's a little a lot different than the normal extended um, games because some teams just don't have that many players at extended spring training right now. Um but uh, the giants are actually playing fairly regular um, extended games, but they're not the same, you know, obviously it's playing in games that have box scores and counts. So, um, but once there's another affiliate to kind of move players around to that, that usually sort of gets uh, the the roster changes going a little bit. So um, that's probably what I would look at, but, you know, then again, next week, you'll probably see a whole bunch of promotions and all <laughs> look like an idiot. So, um, you know, you, ne- you never really know. And, and injuries, of course, can change um, the dynamic of everything, right? Like if there was a significant injury in Richmond that opened a spot for, um, you know, Wilson, they might just go ahead and say, okay, he's ready. Like, let's go ahead and move him up or whatever. Um, so, you know, that, that could all, the, these, these best laid plans are always laid and then uh, life gets in the way a little bit. But um, that's kind of what I would expect at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, a, another thing where this is, this is something that that relies so heavily, right? Like on the Giants' internal evaluations of players, right? When and how you know both minor league coaching staffs, but also the player development staff. You know, like you mentioned, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, Ramos, as you mentioned, like has played at Double A, and actually when he was at he struggled in the Arizona Fall League in 2019 quite heavily, but at Double A, he held his own. I mean, he wasn't doing anything exceptional, but he was about a league average hitter. And back then, when he was, you know, still quite you know, very, he's still young for the level. But back then, I think he was still just 20 um, at, at that time. And you know, he, he you mentioned alternate site his, his spring training performance. You know you would think that the giants are more confident in, in how close he is or him, understanding him and his development. But, you know, there could be, you know, players at the lower minor leagues who we maybe are assuming are in, in a different group than they are because they've gotten to see these players up close longer. They have been able to form their opinions over, you know, a larger sample. And so there might be some players where they are sending them to San Jose because they're quite young, but, they really you know want to get them to Eugene quickly or, you know, the the other way around with Eugene and double A. So all of that is definitely in play. And I do want to uh, wrap up tr- talking just very briefly about the, probably the most like exciting minor league team in, in this system from a uh, prospect standpoint, definitely in terms of name recognition standpoint, you know, the San Jose giants are the lowest for minor league affiliate now um, for the giants, but you have, just a a, an incredible depth of prospect talent and that's with probably players you know like Jairo Pomares and and Grant McRae who I don't know if they would have ended up at San Jose but that seems like where they would have they've started the season on the injured list and the Giants are still running out lineups and frankly Eugene is is similar they're running out lineups where eight to nine players who if you follow the system are you know players who people are writing about as legitimate prospects, you know, whether it's players like Garrett for who, or as someone, like I mentioned, McCray, who hasn't played yet, but you know, like Garrett for a uh, you know, early mid round pick who, who gets an above slot bonus. You obviously have Marco Luciano, Luis Matos on the pitching mound. You have Kyle Harrison. I do want to focus in though on Luciano and Harrison, because I think they've had, you know, in the case of Luciano, Really struggled you know to start the year he's he's not um, made the impact I think in, in the way a lot of Giants fans were expecting and again he's 19 years old he won't be 20 until September and, and this is one of the the difficult excuse me the, the difficult things you know with prospects is you know the best prospects are going to face the p- biggest challenges just because if they're talented enough, they're going to be forced to levels where they're playing against players who are far older, far more, you know, advanced, have more experience. And so there's going to be some pretty huge challenges. What do you think is potentially the, been the uh, a cause for, for Luciano's struggles here early? And, you know, do you think the Giants are going to let him play through this at once you get play in Arizona, or do you think the Giants might consider sending him back to Arizona if he doesn't, you know, kind of start picking things up here shortly?
1: I'd be pretty surprised if they send him back. I think he'll, he'll have this year to, um, you know, be at this level. I, I would expect that even if he Has a slow start to the season that by the second half he's he's hitting a lot better. Um, you know, I think what you're seeing here is kind of what you saw a little bit of in that brief time that he was with Salem Kaiser before he got hurt at the end of 2019, and that -hmm. he's extremely talented hitter. Um, and um, but he has some vulnerabilities in that he swings really hard and pitchers who are a little bit more advanced and can kind of disrupt the timing of a hitter are are able to do that to him right now, right? And, um, you know, that's something that he'll learn. He needs to sort of, you know, he'll learn how to moderate his um, swing effort to be able to uh, combat that. And and I think a lot of times failure is the only way that players learn um, that they need to make those adjustments. It's it's not, um, he can hit a fastball, right? He can hit, um probably every mile per hour fastball that can be thrown so um it's it's not a matter of that he can't hit the highest level of stuff um it's just a matter of kind of understanding what pitchers are going to want to try to do to him and um in a camp like setting like in the alternate sites or even in spring training when pitchers are working on what they're working on as opposed to really working on trying to get a guy out um he's not going to face those kind of uh, challenges the way that he will in a regular season, even at the low A level. Um, and so, I think probably what he's seeing now are you know guys that went to college and who you know maybe they don't throw ninety eight, but they have a couple of different ways they can get you out, and um, they're able to do that to him you know right now because they're they're able to disrupt his timing. And and again, I expect that because he is as talented as he is, that will get better as the season goes on. And if he ends up with a fairly pedestrian line as a 19-year-old in low A, I don't think anyone's going to be too worried about it at all. Um, and, you know, but at the flip side, I think it is also only uh, less than 10 games, you know, and um, in 10 games time, we might be looking at him having uh, 900 OPS. I mean, that's how quickly yeah. things can can change on you. So um, I wouldn't worry about it too much. And again, um, in some cases it's good for players to have failure because that's the only way that they can really address, um, some of the holes that they're dealing with. I think, you know, you look at, at Joey Barton, um, he had a pretty significant hole, you know, in the yeah. inner half of the plate that he needed to address. And it was difficult to address that for him in the minor leagues because minor league pitchers are either missing that spot and hitting him in the hand and injuring him, or they were, um, staying away from him because, you know, minor league pitchers often don't try to challenge really good hitters inside so he got to the big leagues and that became a very obvious thing he needed to work on um and he had to go back to AAA to figure you know to continue that work ideally you know you probably would have liked to have had that be addressed in low a or high a you know as opposed yeah. to in the big leagues and so um that just didn't happen for him just because of the way his development went but um if that happens for marco and low a now uh, I think that only benefits him
0: down the road. Yeah, and I think about you know someone in, in the same spot from Luciano from a age standpoint, same international signing class, Luis Matos, who's might be. I don't think he's the youngest player in at Low A West right now, but definitely one of. Um, I guess Luciano is also one of the youngest, but, but Matos is even younger. You know, he's someone who again, I've been I think high on him. Uh, you know, uh, higher on the than most, but and he's hitting three sixty. He's got this. I think he's slugging 600 after hitting a homer yesterday, but the one thing I have noticed, and I think this is something that Luciano, like you mentioned with the timing and, you know, chasing a bit of pitches or falling for breaking balls out of the zone has, has I think been a bit of a struggle for him for Matos. He's been similarly aggressive and especially at swinging on first pitches. And, and, but, he, he has, you know, sort of the thing with Matos has always been this incredible bat speed and just bat-to-ball skills, right, that he's been able um, to put the ball in play. And again, he, his OPS is nearly 1,000 a, a right now, and again, small sample size, all the caveats with that. But I think it's important to think about the, the goal for these players is not to be the best player they can be at low A-West, right? Um, it, you know, just because Matos' is, OPS is 1,000 and Luciano's might be, you know, sub-6 or 500, right now that doesn't mean that Matos is now a better player than, than Luciano it just means that they're a different they have different developmental tracks to take and, and Luciano still because of his power because of his, you know all the things you mentioned you know has the ability to to probably become well you know Matos I think has some impressive tools too but you know it doesn't mean that Luciano his trajectory has necessarily changed I think as you mentioned with someone like Matos you know who's off to this hot start I think you might have some people in the Giants system or the, the giants player development staff who are a bit concerned about how aggressive Matos has been at the plate, because while he may be able to, you know, square up this low a pitching, he might be working in some bad habits. I, I think of someone like uh, Sandro Fabian, who. Notoriously didn't walk at the minor league level and was really um, aggressive at the plate, but performed really well, especially in rookie ball short season, had a solid passable year at Augusta. And then it, it took a kind of a step back when he reached high A and, you know, he's now kind of become a bit more better at, at working, the pl- working um counts and whatnot but that's just something coming on again like when we're looking at and it's it's fun to look at the box scores it's fun to follow these players this season but i think it's also important for fans to keep in mind that you know the end goal is not for them to be the best minor league players they can be it's for them to become the the best big leaguers
1: yeah absolutely and and i think walk rate is something that will be you know heavily focused on um and contact rates um and you're right i mean the the tricky thing with players like Matos is that um, when you do have really good bat-to-ball skills it is a little bit difficult to teach them what to swing at Um, and I think that sometimes for those kind of players that breakthrough doesn't come until AAA because um, they can make contact on basically anything you know yeah. it's, it's not that they can't hit a ball that's up at the shoulders or down at their ankles um, it's just you don't hit it as well um, and that doesn't necessarily happen until you get to triple a when those pitches at those bad spots become much harder to do good damage with um, so that may be the case for him and I think that's something that um, you know they'll keep an eye on uh, as, as this goes by I, I don't know that um, you know, he'll necessarily dramatically change his profile in terms of becoming somebody who takes a ton of pitches and mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing. That that may just never be his mo. But I think that um, in terms of you know what you what you look for um, from a development path standpoint, you know that may that kind of realization of. I need to recognize what are the good pitches to swing at, not just can I hit this particular pitch? Um, it sort of reminds me of uh, Jorge Mateo. Um, mm. You know, he was a guy who, um, I mean, you know, literally he can hit any pitch, right? Like <laughs> there's, there is no pitch that he can't put a bat on. Um, but, you know, where he has stalled out um, as going from the guy that you thought was going to be a five-tool, you know, big leaguer to, you know, more of a bench player is that he hasn't quite figured out what the best pitches to swing at are yet. And that may still happen. I mean, you know, it's uh, part of the, the unfortunate thing, especially with the Latin players is that they have to go on 40 men rosters so early. Yeah. Sometimes they don't have time to make those um, adjustments like a player who gets a little bit longer runway. So, um, but, but I mean, you know, that's still a big leaguer and, and a big leaguer who can be pretty useful even at the low end of what you would have expected. So if that's a low end, that's still a really good place to start. Um, and I think that is what's really exciting about Matos is that hand-eye coordination.
0: Definitely. Uh, Melissa, thank you. Uh, you've been incredibly gracious with your time um, this morning. And um, you know, it just says something about the giant system. Like we don't even get to talk about Kyle Harrison, who's yeah, had some control issues, but struck out 14 in, in his first couple of starts. It's been, it's it's a really talented system, a really um, excited, exciting system, and, and to your credit, you've done a, a lot of great work on Again, and if you're interested in the A's as well, you do a lot on that. Where can people um, follow you on, on Twitter, and where can they keep up with your work?
1: Yeah, uh, on Twitter, it's at Melissa Lockard, uh, um, and Lockard is L-O-C-K-A-R-D. I know that there's always the temptation to put the H in there, and then you can find me at um, uh, The Athletic, and you can just search my name, and you'll find all my articles there.
0: Sounds good. So, thank you everyone for tuning in for the 28th episode of Sounds the Foghorn Fansides, official San Francisco Giants podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mark DeLuca. You can follow me on Twitter at Mad DeLuca. That is M A D D E L U C C H I. You can follow Around the Foghorn on Twitter at Round the Foghorn. And until next time, stay safe and have a wonderful week.